Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's episode 45. Can you believe it? Um, in the next five episodes, it's going to be obviously episode 50, but we're going to do a special episode, a Q&A episode of sorts. So if you would like to uh, have any of your questions that you've had about me or my family, um, about this podcast, about guests, anything like that, uh, just send them to me. You can direct message me on Instagram or Facebook, and you can find me there at About Progress, or you can email me at packerprogress at gmail.com with all of your questions. So I look forward to that in five episodes. Today, I have a special friend for you. Her name is Nicole Kaukowski. She and I are internet buddies, and we bonded over just direct messaging. She told me a lot about her story. And the more I heard from her, the more blown away I was by all she has faced in her life. Today, we talk primarily about uh, how she has mothered a son with so many special needs and um, what she and her family have learned throughout the years that they have learned one thing after another with his health and with his developmental health as well. And, and how they've survived as a family, but also thrived and learned to find happiness and joy within their trials. And I just love what Nicole shares. She is so wise. And this truly is one of those interviews that is going to give you perspective of your life and hit you at the heart. And we all need a little bit of that. So let's turn to Nicole now. All right, I'm here with Nicole Kalkowski. Hi, Nicole. Hi. We've been internet friends for a while, so it's fun to have you on. And I want you to tell our listeners more about you before we start. I am so excited to be on. Thank you so much for having me. I am a big fan of your podcast. Um, Thanks, Nicole. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a wife and a mom of four, and I live in Las Vegas. Um, I'm best for, known for being a teacher um, an autism advocate, um, which basically grew from being featured in a Red Book magazine year-long series called Living with Autism. Um, and that ended up becoming uh, a gateway into me helping parents and a passion of mine. I love children, the beach, um, heart-to-hearts, uh, serving others and trying new things, um, and chocolate. Oh, Yes. Okay, so I would like to I would like for you to start with with describing your family for me, who who you've got for your children, and then we'll go more into uh, the struggles that uh, one of your children in particular faces. Uh, so tell me first about your your family. Well, um, I have four children. Um, Sierra is seventeen; she's my eldest daughter. Um, and then I have Ella, who's fifteen, and then I have Ryan, who's eleven. And then I have my youngest, which is Ava, and she just turned five years old. Um, my son, Ryan, is the one that has um, autism along with um, a complex medical diagnosis. He has um, a mitochondria disease, and along with that comes um, several other diagnoses like epilepsy and, and many other things. Um, and sort of the short snapshot of, yeah. of them. Well, obviously there's a lot more to it. Um, I want to know a little more about Ryan. And first off, can you tell me what was he diagnosed with first, his autism or, or these diseases that he has? So when Ryan was first born, he appeared to be just a happy, healthy baby in, in many ways in terms of meeting milestones. But he was the kid that was sick all of the time, and mm. he was getting bigger types of infections like pneumonia and strep throat and um, scarlet fever. Oh, um, wow. And, yeah, he was sick all the time. He had upper. He basically lived with an upper respiratory infection and ear infections that wouldn't clear up. Oh. Um, and 
we just lived at the pediatrician's office, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but I really did think that, you know, he was in tow as a younger sibling. You know, I ha- he was number three. So I kind of thought that he was just picking up a lot of stuff um, until he started getting the pneumonia multiple times and the scarlet fever. I thought there's something bigger mm-hmm. to this. Um, so he was first actually diagnosed with autism because he started to regress after one big infection. Um, Yeah, he essentially got really sick, stopped eating. It was a really scary time. Um, We knew something was really wrong with him and it felt different from other times that he had been sick. And how old was he? And your mom. So he got this big infection when he was 18 months old. Uh Um, Yeah. And we just, I just, I, my my mother heart knew something was really wrong with him, but mm. I kept taking him back to the pediatrician, and I was, it's a virus, he's going to be okay, but it kept lingering. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking back now, knowing, because later down the road he gets diagnosed with epilepsy, looking back at that time, I remember going into the pediatrician saying, he just like steers off sometimes and it's so concerning. Um, I now know that those, those were absent seizures, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh Um, So after he goes through this bout of illness, um, he never really regains eating normally and he starts developing um, new and peculiar um, habits. Like the way he's playing looks different. He seems very busy, but not purposeful in his play. Um, And that concerned me, but he still was responding at that time to his name. He still looked you in the eye. So the pediatrician wasn't as concerned about his development as I was. Uh And then it wasn't until um, I went to get him one morning from his crib that everything changed. Um, he was sleeping late and I thought that was unusual. And I went in his room and I was surprised to find he wasn't asleep. He was awake. Um, and he was just kind of staring at the ceiling. And when I went to pick him up, he didn't want me to hold him. He basically like shoved me away. And that stopped me. You know, I was just like, Whoa, what's wrong, buddy? Um, I really felt like something was wrong and I was like, okay, he's getting sick again. Um, I got distracted by my daughters who were calling me from the next room. So I went to go tend to them. And when I came back into the room, I saw him in the corner. He was slightly rocking and lining up all of his little cars in a perfect little line. Mm -hmm. And time stood still because all those questions, all that part of my heart that knew something's not right with my little boy. I didn't have to ask anybody else anymore. I really, I knew. Mm. And I had a name for it. And I didn't, I didn't want it to be that. Yeah. So I stood there and I started calling his name. And he wouldn't turn around. And I continued to call his name. And he still wouldn't turn around. And I picked him up and I tried to look him in the eye. And I could just see there was something markedly different about his eyes. The light in his eyes was gone. He wasn't connecting to me. He was like looking past me and wouldn't look in my eyes. And I knew in that moment what was wrong with him. I knew he had autism and I knew I needed to get him help. What was it? What was it like trying to get him help? Then from that from that uh, point on, um, what was it like trying to get him diagnosed and get help? It was awful. It was awful. I felt like I just wanted to. You know, you're in this panic. You want to get your child help. This major diagnosis, this life changing thing, is happening to your little boy right before your eyes, and you think you know, you're going to go to the doctor and you're going to get all this help. And I went into the pediatrician's office and he was so markedly different from the last time she had saw him. 
she actually looked me in the eyes and she just said, wow. And she mm-hmm. held me and we cried. Um, yeah. and we cried. And he sat in the corner um, just licking his fingers in front of his face, like oh. he completely disconnected to both of us. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really offer me direction. I remember leaving and got in the car. We had that nice hug and she said she was so sorry. And I left her office and I got in the car and I thought, well, wait, now what? She didn't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Where do I go from here? So I ended up calling the office because I didn't want to have to walk back in. And I said, you know, she really didn't give me any direction. And they said, okay, well, we'll leave a message for the doctor and we'll have her, you know, get back to you. And I waited and waited and didn't get a call. So I called them multiple Mm -hmm. times. And then finally they just gave me a number for our Nevada early intervention and said Mm -hmm. that we could, you know, go there and try to um, get services. And so it was a long process. And even when we went there, we just hit roadblock after roadblock. And that was, I think the hardest part is you're watching your child um, changing before your eyes and you're, you're desperate to get help and doors are closing instead of opening. Oh, that's so awful. And, and you had been an educator for many years, too. I mean, so you knew more than most people at, at that point, and still you face so many closed do- doors. I think the thing that is surprising is even though I was a special education teacher, you know, prior, I had um, decided to stay home, be a stay-at-home mom when mm-hmm. I was pregnant with my first. Um, but the thing is, is my education actually taught me differently. We were taught not about regressive autism. So I had believed that if you saw a child hitting milestones and doing that, um, that that child, you could rely on those milestones, that the child was developing fine. I didn't know of this concept of a regressive form of autism. Hmm. Um, we were told you were born that way and to look for certain things like, you know, um, not having great birth. eye contact. Yes, that they would be stoic. Um, and, and colicky and all those things. And he was none of those things. So, um, so I didn't, and we weren't really trained as, you know, as teachers in the school district, we weren't really trained, uh, how parents navigate getting started with a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're dealing with this huge turmoil of watching your son change. And so drastically before your eyes struggling to get him the help he needs, but he's also continuing to be sick physically. So tell yeah. me, tell me about his physical health as well. And what, when he, um, what the timeline is, but you know, with these two things together and, and when he was eventually diagnosed with these diseases. So essentially I just, I'm, I'm completely fired up, you know, cause now I'm online, I'm researching things and now everything, everything, every concern I've ever had about him just is, feels pressing. And I start thinking about all the infections that he had. So I make an appointment. Um, I actually call the next day and demand to be seen that day. And when I went in, I said, you know, you're not really giving me much guidance here with the autism, but something that stands out that, that seems completely wrong is that my son is sick all the time. And I think there's something wrong with him, and I want a referral. I want you to figure out who you can refer me to. I want to make sure that this isn't the reason for the change in my son. And so she ended up sending me to an immunologist. um, And that didn't really give me much, um, you know, connection between why he had autism and why he had immune problems. He essentially, at that time, got diagnosed. Um, with having a primary immune deficiency, essentially, um, it was really good that I pushed for that because he was lacking a lot of important um, things in his body to fight infection, mm-hmm. immunoglobins and um, white blood cell count and all these things were low. Um, you need neutrophils to fight infection and his were low. So, it was good that we went in, um, but then we found out, well, 
he said, I don't think the autism has anything to do with this, um, but your son does need to have um, monthly intravenous um, IVIG is what it's called. And it's essentially a blood product that has these immunoglobins, which are essentially um, fighter cells that fight infection. So um, that became a, a, a new thing we had to tackle. So it's he's basically need to do a, that every an month. immune system, a, a borrowed immune, immune system to just like inject in his body? Is that what that is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like back in the day, Boy in the Bubble could have benefited from this because essentially what they do is they get thousands of donors and they extrapolate their fighter cells. So if you think about all the things that you've um, come down, illnesses that you've come down, your body gets sick and it, it builds these, it has a memory for the infection. It knows how to fight the infection the next time you get it. Um, so all those times my child was getting scarlet fever over and over or certain infections, he shouldn't have done that, um, because his body should have remembered, oh, okay, we, we fought this before we know how to do that. He actually didn't even have antibodies to vaccines that he had been given. So he needed, yeah. So he essentially, his body didn't know what to do with them. That's what you're, when you give your child a vaccine, um, it, you have to have, it has to have a memory to it to, you know, okay, I've been inoculated for this. So it's kind of involved, but anyways, um, you're, you'll normally show titers for that, that you are protected for those infections, for those types of infectious diseases. And he was not. And you said he also has epilepsy and I mean, you've used this, uh, plural diagnosis. So tell me what else, um, he deals with health wise. So this little guy, we start off and we think, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to deal with severe autism and we get going. It takes us a while to get that figured out how to do it, but we do. Yeah. And then we end up, we end up starting like every month with our little, little guy getting him this, this treatment, um, where he has goes and he goes, um, to a hematology oncology center and gets his IVIG treatment, an all day long exhausting treatment that comes with some hard side effects oh, and um, oh yeah it's so, it really was so hard. a hard hard thing for him mm-hmm. yeah I mean being held down and having to be you know poked so many times just to get you know lines in all that stuff is really hard on yeah. on little kids and and on mother hearts you know you don't want to mm-hmm. see your baby going through all of that mm-hmm. so um we kind of get busy with handling those things and we think that's kind of all we have right and we're just kind of gonna tackle that and go on about our lives and and live them and and you know we had a lot of hope about um progress that ryan was making in those early years with his autism treatment um and then three days after christmas um when he was five years old he had his first grand mal seizure and Hmm. i had never seen a grand mal seizure in person. I have only seen some of that on TV. Yeah. And so, so could you describe that? What is a grand mal seizure for people who don't know? So a grand mal seizure, essentially when it's full, you know, full brain involvement, what you're, I mean, seizures are a complex topic and there are a lot of different presentations of seizures. Um, but this particular type of grand mal seizure that he had, um, he was walking towards me and I could see his eyes like looked at me worried for a moment. Like Mm. he, I, he knew something was about to happen and apparently people with epilepsy can have like an aura. They, they can know sometimes before they're going to strike, not always, but they can. And, um, and then he, he just collapsed. And then when he hit the ground, he, his whole body stiffened and started shaking and his eyes, his eyes were open, but they were rolling back That's and the little five-year-old. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen one seizures too much, but I've seen over the years more seizures than I can count. And every time you see them, I, I have to say it, it just, it never 
lessens how hard it is to watch your child seize. Um, after he, he had the seizure, he was completely pale and his lips were like slightly bluish looking. Mm -hmm. And then he wasn't awake. We couldn't wake him up. He was very limp. I did not know that this is called a postictal phase that happens after big seizures. And we thought he passed. Um, yeah. So we really, and then I was in a new, I was, I I had like the cordless phones. This one thing I tell people always have one stationary phone in your house that has Mm -hmm. speaker phone so that you have a main landline that you can go to because we had all those cordless phones and I'm yelling at my daughters to run around the house and try to find them. And my cell phone um, battery was dead and we, we just were having a really hard time trying to get 911. So we, I end up scooping him up and I'm sorry, but his little body was completely limp, like a rag doll. He, there was, he just, I thought I was carrying my son that passed away into the car. Oh. I put him in the car across my girl's laps in the back. Um, and they were screaming, mommy, he died. Oh. And we drove to the hospital and, um, as soon as they saw me running, carrying him with these two little girls running alongside me, they came running out and they took him and took him back. Um, so Ryan, something more was wrong with him and he ended up having a long stay in our local hospital. My husband met us at the, in the emergency room and took our girls home. And at that point, they didn't know, is their brother going to make it? Uh, actually, my husband didn't know either. Um, and they ended up admitting him. And we, we stayed for several weeks. And then um, his symptoms weren't improving. And we ended up getting lots of blood work back that was saying that there was a lot wrong with him. Um, and they were concerned that he had some type of rare metabolic disease um he was suffering from um significant bradycardia so um he actually got medically transferred from our hospital out of state to utah um, primary children's hospital um and he kind of went in as this you know complex case that they were going to try to figure out put the pieces together and it was a long involved stay And is this when they were able to uh, put a lot of pieces of the puzzle together and give you more names to what Ryan was experiencing? So the hard part was we started getting names to things that were wrong with him, Mm -hmm. but we didn't have a unifying diagnosis. We had um, essentially, they're telling us all these things, like they ran tests, a metabolic profile which is a pretty common thing that they'll run on people in the hospital. And several abnormalities were popping up with that, um, but nothing that could pinpoint something definitive with that. His liver enzymes were very high. Um, there's something called your um, creatine kinase. The uh-huh. CPK was, extreme, was very high, so they didn't know if he had some, some type of muscular problem. Um, there was, it was, like so much was coming back that was abnormal. It was make, but nothing was painting the picture of, okay, well, all these things mean that he has this one thing. Um, and, but they knew you're not going to have, once you start acquiring multiple diagnoses, it usually paints the picture of a syndrome or a certain, you know, disease. Um, it usually does that. And in some cases there are kids that, are so unique that they don't end up figuring it out. Um, but they began running a lot of, of different tests. We found out his thyroid wasn't working, um, all sorts of issues. Um, so we kind of left with a laundry list of problems and not an actual 
real unifying diagnosis. Did you get that ever? So in a sense, we did. Um, it took a long time. So he's, you know, five then. By the time he was eight, we had traveled all across the United States going to many different um, children's hospitals. Um, I actually, in that long stay at Children's Primary, was in the hospital when I found out that I was pregnant. And I, I had no idea. So um, that journey across all the different hospitals, I had a, a little baby in tow. Well, first yeah. I was pregnant and then I had a baby in tow for all of, all of that experience. And it was when he was at, Arkans we went to Boston Children's and Arkansas Children's, and they started to um, come to the conclusion that Ryan had um, a mitochondria disease. And that was the, the best explanation for the constellation of all of these different chronic um, diagnoses that he was being given. So what does it take um, now to help Brian? What does his daily care look like and uh, how is he doing? So the thing about that type of diagnosis is that when they first gave it to me, it didn't feel like it fit my kid because I'm like reading it and these kids can have muscle problems and, you know, coordination. I mean, they can even, his type of um, complex one and complex two, they can lose their vision and their hearing. And I thought, I'm not sure this, all these things really fit him, but it is one of these, um, your mitochondria is the powerhouse system. Of, of the cell and your cells are everywhere. So as they become damaged um, and sort of they can also die off and it can start affecting all the different um, wherever those cells are, it can start affecting those organs. So over the years, the picture of his day-to-day -day has very much changed. Um, when he was younger, he was more, you know, kind of hyperactive and would run about and he enjoyed a lots of fun activities like jumping on the trampoline and going to the park and doing all those things that he cannot do now. Um, mm. So his day to day really is quite unpredictable um, because he lives with um, debilitating nerve pain. Yeah. So some, mm. so some days it's a seizure day, some days it's a debilitating pain day. Um, some days he just doesn't have enough energy um, because um, you're, they say people with mitochondria diseases, it's like trying to run your house on a double A battery is essentially how their body feels. Um, so essentially he can have days where he sleeps um, extensive amounts of time. He does need help with all aspects of his day. He's tube fed and um, he has like a G tube. Um, and so he, he needs help with absolutely everything. He needs help brushing his teeth and being dressed and bathing and all bathroom care needs. Um, and just essentially being watched over for um, looking for signs of, of different things um, that cause him problems. Like he has um, hypoglycemia, which can trigger seizures. So the monitors, his glucose levels and there's a lot of just monitoring him um, to keep him safe. And what about uh, developmentally too? I mean, all this coupled with autism, how does that play into what he deals with every day and by extension uh, you and what your family needs to do to help him? Yeah, that, that also, I think it's definitely has changed through the years um, when mm -hmm. he has had so many seizures. Um, and so in the earlier years, he wasn't speaking and we thought we weren't, we questioned, you know, where he was at and we would start his early learning programs and he, he wasn't really responding, but we ended up finding out that um, he was quite smart. You know, mm -hmm. he, he knew a lot, but his severity presented itself in, in just that ability to show others what you know. And I really, I feel like that's something that I share with people a lot, that you should never, you should never assume 
what someone who isn't able to be verbal or communicate, um, you should never assume what they might not know. You should treat them um, like you would anyone else and assume that although all the information is going in, they may have a lot of trouble getting that information out. So I feel like that's essentially what um, where he's at. He's struggled today with communication greatly. Um, and he did when he first began the autism journey and then he learned how to, how to, how to talk first. He did like peck system to communicate and then he learned how to talk and he could talk in sentences and request the things he wanted. But those seizures time and time again would rob him of all of the efforts that he would make. Mm -hmm. Um, and we'd kind of have to take several steps back in his therapy and like start back over and build it up. So he's lost his language skills four times um and this last time he almost passed away he was in that picky with um convulsive status epilepticus which is a life-threatening condition and he hasn't regained a lot of movement in his mouth so he struggles with being able to um, formulate words you know, one of the common uh, threads to your story is just your amazing intuition as a mother. And I want to know, as a mother, what you know about Ryan that people may not see. And as his mother, what you know is his heart and his personality and his strengths that people might not readily see. So tell me about what you would like people to know about Ryan and who he really is. And, you know, I think all mothers have that, that ability to just, they, they have knowledge about their son. And there's so much power in, in, in a mom trusting her gut and, and knowing her child. So I think that that's such an important thing. And I think in the beginning, I sort of doubted that because we were in this new, new land, new territory. And so I think it took me a little bit to find, you know, my bearings with that and figure out, you know what? he was given to me and I do love and know him and trust that and trust that more than anybody I would know to make the right choices for him. Um, he is, his nature is he's sweet and he sees things that are funny and he has the best giggle on the planet. Um, it is infectious <laughs> and he is the kind of, little guy that he he may not want to be in the center of the action of what's going on because all of all of the stimuli might be difficult for him but just because he's not in the middle of it or if he's sitting off to the side doesn't mean that he's not taking it all in I think that that's a common thread with a lot of people with autism people assume that if they're not speaking or they're not fully engaging in an activity that that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, enjoying it for themselves and in, and in their own way that they feel comfortable with. He loves water and the beach and movies. He had, um, we didn't know this, but he apparently loves Harry Potter. Oh yeah. <laughs> of course that's awesome. But that's we so actually great. didn't know that it was, it was the Make-A-Wish team that came that was talking about all different, they were really, really, really wanted to make sure that the wish that was selected was truly what Ryan wanted. And it was mm -hmm. them that found out that Ryan That's loves incredible. Harry Potter and wanted to go to Harry Potter World. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so fun they found that out. <laughs> and I think the most other thing I would say that stands out about him, he has such an endearing quality about him. You or in his presence, and there's just something about him, people instantly fall in love with him. And mm. he just, he's like a little angel. He's just awesome, and he's mine. Nicole, it sounds like with all that you're talking about, it seems traumatic. I mean, you and your, your family, you've faced a lot of traumatic times with Ryan. Um. I've just wondered how you have dealt with that and, and as well as uh, the rest of your family, how have you dealt with the, these uh, 
what can be some daily, really scary things that uh, you each go through? Well, I think it's, it's definitely been a learning process and I feel like I go in and out of different um, stages, if you will, on how I'm dealing with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously when you're in the beginning of anything that's brand new, that's really, really hard. I mean, you're just in a place where you, you are grieving and mm-hmm. I had to take that time to grieve, but I also, by the nature of having, you know, three kids and then also then later having the fourth kid, I really didn't have much time to indulge in my grieving, if you will, like really Mm -hmm. just go there because there was so much to be done every day. Um, And I think the, the desire to help him and to try to be the best mom I could be to my kids was the driving force for me each day on the days that were hard to get out of bed or the days that maybe I coped by crying in the shower. Um, But I essentially really have to attribute just the faith that I have. I'm, you know, a religious person and I believe in the Lord and I really leaned on that Mm -hmm. so much to get through the hard times and to find joy and come to a place where I had acceptance about not necessarily that you always love what's happening. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I mean, but then, you know, obviously I would never choose for my child to be sick or to be hurting, but I also at the same token can see that, the challenges that we've faced, I've grown into a person that I'm where I am today. I'm, I'm really feel like I'm thankful for the ways it's helped me grow as a person and a mother and a wife. I mean, I always have more to improve, of course, but I am you know, and, and I guess I'm I'm in that place now because I've been in this journey with my son for, gosh, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a different place today than I was, you know, five years ago or a year ago. Mm-hmm. So it's a certainly an evolving thing that you have to work at. And sometimes you're working at it harder than other times, but it's definitely evolving and there's, there's definitely some beautiful things that happen along the way amidst the hard stuff. What would you say to some parents who are back at that beginning? And what would you say to those people who, who it just looks like dark, you know, the future just looks dark and unknown and scary about what what is ahead for them in terms of the good as well? I think what's so hard is when you're in the trenches, sometimes you're not necessarily receptive to another person telling you Mm -hmm. um, what to do or how to do it. Um, But I think that as moms, we have to give ourselves you know, a break here and there that it, it is okay that you're going through a season that's really, really hard. And that's okay that you need to take that time to process it. But I also feel like because in different aspects of my life, and of course, we're just talking right now about, you know, my son and that challenge, but I've been through other things in my life. So I've definitely had multiple experiences where I was in the depths of dark and I'm so thankful that I've had the experience of coming out of that. Mm-hmm. And I think each time you do, it's almost like an individual has to experience that to gain their own strength to know yeah. the next time there's something dark mm-hmm. that you will be that much stronger to pull yourself back up again. Mm-hmm. And I think hope and love are the things that will get you there. And do whatever you can do to surround yourself 
with things that you love and people that will love you so that you can make it through that stuff Mm -hmm. and believe in yourself that you can. That's beautiful, Nicole. You're so wise. And I want to talk more about all the, the, just the day day to day stress that you endure. I mean, you are a mother to three other children as well. And even if a child is physically healthy, like maybe your other children are there, they all have issues, right? Like no child is, is easy. So what, what are the, some of the specific things that you do each day for yourself to find that daily happiness and that, and that strength that you need to mother all of them? You know, when you were saying that and starting off, I just want to giggle because yes, I mean, being a mom of four, no matter what, whether your kids have uh, a diagnosis of anything or not, just being a mom of four kids definitely comes with, you know, lots of fun, but lots of challenges, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and I'm no different from any other mom. I have my days that I'm not happy about how much laundry is piling up and everything's everywhere. And you get that kid that's coming to you. It's like, nine o'clock, oh, um, we are supposed to have these things for class tomorrow, <laughs> or, uh-huh. you know, wants to print something off at the last minute, and the printer ink is out, or, you know, what have you, like, yeah, just like all the things that every mother goes through, I mean, you know, I'm going through them too, and um, it just, it does look different, because I'm trying to juggle, you know, a kiddo in the mix that, you know, has special needs, and so for us, Um, we a lot are like, have to have things that we say, like, roll with it, because there are days that, um, you know, I mean, it's just, there's not, we try to have a schedule that helps. But that roll with it comes along too, because we know that the days are unpredictable. And we have to just sort of sometimes reassess. And if something's, you know, out of whack, like, you know, maybe my son's not okay, we shift gears and we kind of go, we have crisis mode that we all are familiar with shifting gears Mm -hmm. into that. And then we also just have, you know, days where it's like, you know what, we really just have to get to the essentials. Mm -hmm. And we have to, you know, let a lot of other cares go out the window. And it's taught us quite a bit about prioritizing what really matters most. And I think that, there's so much we fixate on. There's so much that we worry about in a day that really doesn't matter as mm-hmm. much as we think it does. Yeah. So you've learned the art of letting go of things, huh? Yes. And I have to tell you, I went kicking and screaming into that. I did not really? like that in the beginning. Uh-huh. Yes, because I was the type of person that, I mean, I really liked a perfectly clean house. That gave me like a happy feeling inside, you know, a sense of accomplishment. You know, Mm -hmm. I really liked um, that, but I found that doesn't necessarily make me like the nicest wife and the funnest mom (laughs) when I'm like trying so hard to adhere to that. Mm -hmm. So I've had to learn to let some of that go and realize, you know, happy hearts and smiling faces make for a happier life than a, I want my kids really to grow up and not think, well, our house was so perfectly put together, but I hopefully they think, you know, mom was, was fun and was there for me. So I try to think about more now. So what do you do to add more fun as a family? What are your go-to ways? So I think that dance parties with your family are a, a really important thing. (laughs) At least they are here. Just acting silly, being goofy. I think that trying to have laughter is an awesome way to just change everybody's attitude, finding things that are silly. We even, you know, sometimes have to joke at the hard stuff. We we crack little jokes um, that only our family would get um, because it, you know, relates to just little, little things that are, they're different in our journey. But, um, Pulling pranks on your kids is quite fun. <laughs> little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Doing little things on them. I just think those things and then just having, trying to have traditions and, um, but I mean, all in all, I think it all starts with, um, you know, just trying to have a happy heart and seeking joy in yourself mm-hmm. and it comes out with your family. And it's incredible to me that 
you've been able to cultivate that skill for yourself. I'm sure there are many times where that has not come easy, um, but you've made that choice to be that way. And that's really incredible, Nicole. Well, thank you. And I have to definitely admit that, yes, not easy. And I'm not always doing an awesome job at that. I mean, I can think about last, you know, Christmas and we had on the schedule for the day that we were going to make treats for the neighbors and, you know, pass around our Christmas cards. And we kind of wanted it to just be this fun thing. And we usually have holiday music and it was going to be just fun. And the kids were counting on it. And, you know, towards the Christmas holiday, there can be so much going on that you have to sort of pick these things wisely with your time. Right. So you, you can't do that necessarily every night. So we had this whole thing going, but you know, seizures don't really care about the plans that you have, hmm. you know, for the night. Yeah. It, it, it can be hard. Cause you're, you're like, okay, I'm going to try to put a smile on my face. I'm going to keep checking on my son. But, and when I come down, I've got, you know, my older girls, my little, my youngest, and we just had to turn up that holiday music a little bit more. Um, and kind of, maybe take a few shortcuts on the treats. We weren't going to be so cute Pinteresty as we yeah. thought we were going to be. Uh-huh. Um, but um, yeah, I never, I don't even know why I go on Pinterest because I never actually <laughs> achieve that. I know, who does? <laughs> but, <laughs> Just the right? So I'm like, the what am I? Exactly. I'm like, what is this about? But so we just shift gears and, but it, it can be hard that your heart could be hurting for your one and then also equally hurting for the other other mm-hmm. ones because my yeah. my girls miss out on a lot and things can be really hard so it it can I'm gonna tell you you know you put that smile on and you're doing the best that you can but sometimes too it's like it's a good cry later on your sure. knees you know mm-hmm. Nicole so there are so many directions I wanted to take this interview and there's still so much that we could talk about so much about all of your children and, and you and your marriage. And just, unfortunately, this is the, the nature of a podcast time runs out and there's so much left unsaid that I wish we could talk about, but I was hoping you could still end this interview by giving our listeners a little bit of advice or some, uh, some learning that you have done and what you've learned about yourself the past few years? Well, I, I just thank you so much for having me on. And I, and I do understand, you know, about that. And I've really enjoyed speaking with you. And I think advice wise, um, I just feel like so many awesome moms out there. And I'm actually learning a lot from all of, all of the people that you interview and all the different moms out there. So I just think that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's just something so powerful about the heart of a mom that that loves their kids. And, you know, none of us are perfect, right? I mean, we make our mistakes. And and I think we, good moms go to bed at night uh, often where we think there's something we could have done better. I think that we should give ourselves, you know, cut ourselves some slack and realize that, you know, if our face lights up when we see our kids and we are trying our best, that really we should celebrate that and just Hmm. kind of revel in the loving of them and the experience and really each child that you have, it's a unique experience and there's different joys and, you know, struggles with each kid. But I think that that's also what makes it so special is that you get that opportunity to have these little humans that, you know, you have unique experiences with each one of your, your children. Um, I think that working to, you know, cultivate just happiness in your home, really, even though you can be going through hard things, even though you can be going through a trial, um, it really pays off because um, that, that what you think about transcends and it impacts your everyday life. And it's not always easy. That's for sure. I know that. But shooting for that is a really, it feels so much better than, than kind of being in a place where you're just heartbroken. 
and carrying that all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, Nicole, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thank you again. Thank you so much, Monica. As I mentioned at the end there, there was still so much more we could have gone into with Nicole. She is a well-known advocate. She's gotten legislation in place to help serve a population with special needs and, and has been well-known in that area and and done such incredible work, um, both within her family and publicly. Uh, but she was so kind to specifically let us focus on Ryan today and what they have learned as they have gone through trying to help him and and make his life happy too thank you nicole for being on the show and i'm so glad you would share your wisdom with us next wednesday i have a really cool episode for you with the ladies behind this incredible new quarterly uh, publication called bravery magazine you might have uh, seen it floating around the internet i saw their kickstarter and immediately had to have them on and and a miraculous opening happened where they fit next Wednesday. I'll tell you more about the story behind that as well as them next week. They are so inspiring. So get ready to listen to the two most incredible women who look like all of us. Um, and I just wanted to thank you. Thank you again for taking the time to leave reviews for me. We are just doing better and better with that. I feel like I need to set a new goal. Maybe 70 should be my new goal by November since we already hit my goal of 50. And you've, you've, you've done that for me and I so appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast and for being a part of my community online. About Progress is my community. That's my blog. That's my Facebook. That's my Instagram. It is so fun to get to know you guys a little better and it's great to hear some feedback and what you would like to have on the show and who you'd like to have on the show and what it to be about. Uh, So keep it coming, you guys. I'm just really grateful to have your support. I will see you next Wednesday and until then, take care of yourself.